0: People of the spear Danes, in days of old we have heard tell how those princes did deeds of valor. Oft skilled Skeffing robbed the hosts of foemen, many peoples of the seats where they drank their mead, laid fear upon men. He who first was found forlorn, comfort for that he lived to know, mighty grew under heaven. Throve in honor, until all that dwelt nigh about, over the sea where the whale rides, must hearken to him and yield him tribute. A good king was he. To him was an heir afterwards born, a young child in his courts whom God sent for the comfort of the people, perceiving the dire need which they long while endured aforetime being without a prince. To him, therefore, the Lord of life, who rules in glory, granted honor among men, Bow was renowned, far and wide his glory sprang, the heir of skilled and skitteland. Thus doth a young man bring it to pass, with good deed and gallant gifts, while he dwells in his father's bosom, that, at aft- that after in his age there cleave to him loyal knights of his table and the people stand by him when war comes. By worthy deeds and every folk is a man ennobled. Then at his allotted hour, skilled the valiant passed into the keeping of the Lord. Into the flowing sea his dear comrades bore him, even as he himself had bidden them, while yet their prince he ruled the Skildings. With his words, beloved lord of the land, long was he master. There at the haven stood with ringed prow, ice hung, eager to be gone, the princes bark. They laid then their beloved king, giver of rings, in the bosom of the ship, in glory by the mast. There were many precious things and treasures brought from regions far away. Nor have I heard tell that men ever in more seemly wise arrayed a boat with weapons of war and harness of battle. On his lap laid treasures heaped that now must go with him far into the dominion of the sea. With lesser gifts no whit did they adorn him with treasures of that people than did those that in the beginning sent him forth alone over the waves. A little child... Moreover, high above his head, they set a golden standard and gave him to Ocean. Let the sea bear him. Sad was their heart, and mourning in their soul. None can report with truth, nor lords in their halls, nor mighty men beneath the sky, who received that load. Then in the strongholds long was Biao of the Skeldings, Beloved king of men, renowned among peoples, elsewhere had the prince his father departed from his home until thereafter he begat Helfdine the High, who held the lordship while he lived, aged in fierce and war over the fair Skildings. To him were children foreborn in the world, in order named captains of the hosts. Hirogar and Hrothgar, and Halga the Good, and a daughter, I have heard, that was O'Neillah's queen, dear consort of the warrior Skilfing. Thereafter was fortune in war, vouchsafe to Hrothgar, and glory in battle, that the vassals of his own kindred hearkened willing unto him, and the numbers of his young warriors grew to a mighty company of men. Then it came into his heart that he would command men ...to fashion a hall and a mansion, a mightier house for their mead-drinking, than the children of men had ever known. And therewithin would he apportion all things to young and old, such as God had granted him, save the people's land and the lives of men. Then have I heard that far and wide to many a kindred on this middle earth was that work proclaimed, the adorning of that dwelling of men. In a while, swiftly among men, it came to pass for him that it was all made ready, the greatest of houses and of halls. For it he devised the name of Herorot, even he whose word far and wide was law. His vow he belied not, the rings he dealt in treasure at the feast. The hall towered high with Horned gables wide, awaiting the warring billows of destroying fire. The time was not far off that between father and daughter's spouse, murderous hate in memory of a deadly feud should awaken again. Then the fierce spirit that abode in darkness grievously endured a time of torment. In that day after day, he heard the din of revelry echoing in the hall. There was the sound of harp and the clear singing of the minstrel. There spake he that had knowledge to unfold from far-off days the first beginning of men, telling how the Almighty wrought the earth, a veil of bright loveliness that the waters encircled, how triumphant he set the radiance of the sun and moon as a light. For the dwellers in the lands and adorned the regions of the world with bows, bowels, and with leaves. Life, too, he devised for every kind that moves and lives. Even thus did the men of that company live in mirth and happiness, until one began to work deeds of wrong, a fiend of hell. Grindel was that grim creature called, the ill-famed haunter of the marches of the land, who kept the moors, the fastness of the fens, and unhappy one inhabited long while the troll kind's home. For the maker had proscribed him with the race of Cain. That bloodshed, for that Cain slew Abel, the eternal lord avenged. No joy had he of that violent deed. But God drove him for that crime far from mankind. Of him all evil broods were born ogres and goblins and haunting shapes of hell, and the giants too, that long time warred with God, for that he gave them their reward. Then went Grendel forth when night was come to spy on that lofty house, to see how the Ring Danes, after the ale drinking, had ordered their abode in it, and he found therein a lordly company after their feasting sleeping, Sorrow they knew not, the unhappy fate of men. That accursed thing, ravenous and grim. Swift was ready, thirty knights he seized upon their couch. Thence back he got him gloating over his prey, Faring homeward with his glut of murder to seek his lairs. Thereafter at dawn, with the first light of day, was Grendel's strength in battle, Made plain to men. Then was weeping after feasting upraised a mighty cry at morn. The glorious king, their prince proven of old, joyless sat. His stout and valiant heart suffered and endured sorrow for his knights. When men had scanned the footprints of that foe, that demon cursed. Too bitter was that strife, too dire and weary to endure. Nor was it longer space then, but one night ere he wrought again cruel murders more, and grieved not for them his deeds of enmity and wrong. Too deep was he therein. Thereafter not far to seek was the man who elsewhere more remote sought him his couch and a bed among the lesser chambers. Since now was manifested and declared thus truly to him, with token plain the hatred of that keeper; Thereafter he who escaped the foe kept him more distant and more safe. Even thus did one lord it, and against right make war, Alone against them all, until empty stood that best of houses. Long was the while, twelve winters spaced the Skildings' Dear lord endured anguish, and every woe and sorrow deep. So it was made known to men and revealed to the children of mankind, sadly, in songs that Grendel strove a while with Hrothgar, wrought hate and malice, evil deeds and enmity. For many a year, a strife unceasing, truce would he not have with any man of the Danish host, nor would withhold his deadly cruelty, nor accept terms of payment. And there, no cause had any of the counselors to look for golden recompense from the slayer's hands. Nay, the fierce killer pursued them still, both knights and young, a dark shadow of death, lurking, lying in wait. In long night, keeping the misty moors, men know not whither sorcerers of hell in their wanderings roam. Thus, many a deed of evil that foe of men stalking dreadfully alone. Did often work, many a grievous outrage, in Herod's hall, bright with gems, in the dark nights he dwelt. Never might he approach the precious throne of grace in the presence of God, nor did he know his will. That was great torment to the Skilding's lord, anguish of heart. Many a mighty one sat oft communing counsel they took, what it were best for stout-hearted men to do against these dire terrors. At times they vowed sacrifices to idols in their heathen tabernacles, in prayers implored the slayer of souls to afford them help against the sufferings of people. Such was their want, the hope of heathens. They were mindful in their hearts of hell, nor knew they the creator, the judge of deeds, nor had heard of the Lord God, nor verily had learned to praise the guardian of the heavens and the king of glory. Woe shall be said to him that through fiendish malice shall thrust down his soul into the fire's embrace. To look for no comfort, in no wise to change his lot. Blessed shall be he that may after his death day go unto the Lord and seek peace in the bosom of the Father. Even thus, over the sorrows of that time, did the son of Hilfding brood unceasingly, nor could that wise prince put aside his grief. Too strong was that strife, too dire and weary to endure. That had come upon that folk, torment fierce and cruel that they needs must bear, the greatest of miseries that came by night. Of this... Of Grindel's deeds, the knight of Higalak esteemed among the Geats, Heard in his home afar, in that day of man's life, here in might the strongest of mankind, was he, Noble, and of stature beyond man's measure. He bade men prepare for him a good craft upon the waves, Saying that over the waters where the swan rides he would seek the warrior king, that prince renowned, since he had need of men, with that voyage little fault did wise men find. Dear though he were to them, they encouraged his valiant heart, and they observed the omens. Champions of the people of the Geats, that good man had chosen from the boldest that he could find, and fifteen in all they sought now their timbered ship, while that warrior, skilled in the ways of the sea, led them to the margins of the land, Time passed on. Afloat upon the waves was the boat beneath the cliffs. Eagerly, the warriors mounted the prow, and the streaming sea swirled upon the sand. Men at arms bore to the bosom of the ship their bright harness, their cunning gear of war. They then, men on a glad voyage, thrust her forth with her well-joined timbers. Over the waves of the deep she went sped by the wind. Sailing with foam at throat, most like unto a bird. Until in due hour upon the second day her curving beak had made such way that those sailors saw the land. The cliffs beside the ocean gleaming, in sheer headlands and capes thrust far to sea. Then for that sailing ship the journey was at an end. Thus the men of the wind-loving folk climbed swiftly up upon the beach, And made fast the seaborne timbers of their ship. Their mail-shirts they shook, their raiment of war. They gave thanks to God that the passage of the waves had been made easy for them. Then from the high shore the watchmen of the skildings, who of duty guarded the cliffs by the sea, saw them bearing over the gangway, bright shields and gallant harness. Anxiety smote him in his heart to learn what these men might be. He went then to the strand riding on his horse, Rothgar's knight and mightily he brandished in his hands his stout spear shaft and in words of parley he asked what warriors are ye clad in corslets that have come thus steering your tall ship over the streets of the sea hither over deep waters lo i long while have dwelt at the ends of the land keeping watch over the water that in the land of the Danes no foeman might come harrying with raiding fleet. Never have armed men more openly here essayed to land, Knowing not at all the password of men in array of war, Nor having the consent of kinsmen. Never have I seen on earth a greater among men than is one of you. A warrior in arms, no hall servant is he in brave show of weapons. If his fair countenance lie not and his peerless mien, now must I learn of what people you are sprung, rather than ye should pass on hence, false spies into the land of the Danes. Come now, ye dwellers afar, voyagers of the sea, hear my thought plainly spoken. In haste it is best that ye declare whence your ways have led. To him then the chief made answer. The leader of the company opened his store of words. We are by race men of the Geats and hearth comrades of Higalak. Famed among peoples was my father, a noble warrior in the forefront of battle. owl was he called. Many a winter he endured, ere in age he departed from his courts. Full well doth every wise man remember him far and wide over the earth. With friendly purpose are we now come seeking thy master, the son of Hilfdin, Defender of his people, be thou kindly in counsel to us. A mighty errand have we to him renowned, the lord of the Danes, And there a certain matter shall not be kept secret as I think. Thou knowest if so it be, as in truth we have heard tell, That among the Skildings I know not what deadly thing a a doer of deeds Of secret hatred on dark nights and dreadful wise makes plain his monstrous malice shame of men and felling of the dead concerning that with ungrudging heart i can give counsel to hrothgar how he wise and good will overcome his enemy should there ever come change or betterment in the torment of his woes how those burning griefs will be assuaged or else forever after he will endure a time of tribulation and dire need while there in its high place abides the best of houses The watchman spake, sitting there upon his steed, fearless servant of the king. A man of keen wit who takes good heed will discern the truth in both words and deeds. My ears assure me that here is a company of friendly mind towards the lord of Skildings. Go ye forward, bearing your weapons and your armor. I will guide you. My young esquires, moreover, I will command honorably to guard your ship, your new tarred vessel upon the sand. Against every foe, until with its timbers and its wreathed prow it bears back again over the streams of the sea its beloved master to the weather mark. To such a doer of good deeds it shall surely be granted that he will come sound and whole through this onset of war. They went then marching forth. Their fleet vessel remained now still, deep bosomed ship it rode upon its hawser fast to the anchor. Figures of the boar shone above cheat guards, adorned with gold, glittering, fire-tempered. Fierce and challenging war mask kept guard over life. The men hastened, striding together until they could describe the builded hall adorned bright with gold. Foremost, it was in fame of all houses under heaven among the dwellers upon earth, where in the mighty one abode... The light of it shone over many a land. Then that warrior bold pointed out to them, Clear to see the court of proud men, That they might march straight thither. Then that warrior turned his horse, And thereupon spake these words, Time it is for me to go. May the Almighty Father and His grace Keep you safe upon your quests. To the sea will I go, Against unfriendly hosts my watch to keep. The street was paved in stone patterns, the path guided those men together. There shone corslet of war, hard hand-linked bright ring of iron rang in their harness, as in their dread gear they went striding straight unto the hall. Weary of the sea, they set their tall shields, bucklers wondrous hard against the wall of the house, and sat then on the bench. Corslets rang, war harness of men. Their spears stood piled together, seamen's gear, ash haft, gray-tipped with steel. Well furnished with weapons was the iron-mailed company. There then a knight in proud array asked those men of battle concerning their lineage, Whence bear ye your plated shields, your gray shirts of mail, your massed helms and throng of warlike shafts? I am Hrothgar's herald and servant. Never have I seen so many men of outland folk more proud of bearing. I deem that in pride, not in the ways of banished men, nay, in greatness of heart ye have come seeking Hrothgar. To him then, strong and bold, the proud prince of the wind loving folk replied. Words he spake in answer, stern beneath his helm. We are companions of Higalak's table. Beowulf is my name. To the son of Hefdin, glorious king. I wish to tell mine errand to thy lord, if he will vouchsafe to us, that we may approach him in his excellence. Wolfgar spake, noble prince of the windles was he, his heart's temper, his prowess and wisdom were known to many a man. This will I inquire of the friend of the Danes, lord of the Skildings, giver of rings, concerning thy quest, even as thou prayest, and such answer quickly declare to thee as he in his goodness is minded to give. Then swiftly he returned to where Hrothgar sat, old and hoarheaded, headed amid his company of knights. Valiant he strode until he stood by the shoulder of the lord of the Danes. Well he knew the customs of courtly men. Wolfgar spake to his beloved lord. Here and now landed, come from afar over the encircling sea, noble men of the Geats, the chiefest of them men of arms named Beowulf. They begged to exchange words with thee, my king." Do not make denial to them of thy fair answer. O oh, gracious Hrothgar! In their harness of war they seem well to merit the esteem of men. Assuredly a man of worth is the captain who hath led these men of, these men of battle to this land. Rothgar spake, protector of the Skildings. I knew him while he was yet a boy. His sire of old was called Egthial. To him Rethel of the Geats gave his bride his only daughter... It is his son that has now here come dauntless seeking a friend and patron. Voyagers by sea such as have borne gifts and treasures for the geats thither in token of goodwill have since reported that he hath in the grasp of his hand the might and power of thirty men valiant in battle. Holy God hath sent him to us in his mercy, even to the West Danes, as is my hope against the terror of Grendel. To this good knight I shall offer precious gifts to reward the valor of his heart. Make haste now. Bid them enter here and look upon the proud company of our kin here gathered together. Tell them too in words of greeting that they are welcome to the people of the Danes. Then Wolfgar went toward the door of the hall and, standing within, he pronounced these words. My victorious lord, chieftain of the East Danes, bade me say to you that he knows your lineage. And that with your dauntless hearts ye come as welcome guests to him over the surges of the sea. Now may ye go in your harness of battle beneath your mast helms to look upon Hrothgar. Leave here your warlike shields and deadly shafted spears to await the issue of your words. Then that lordly man arose, and about him many a warrior, a valiant company of knights. Some remained behind guarding their gear of war even as the bold captain commanded. They went with speed together, the knight guiding them beneath the roof of Herat. Stern beneath his helm strode Beowulf until he stood beside the hearth. Words he spake, his mail gleamed upon him, woven like stuff in crafty web by the cunning of smiths. Hail to thee, Hrothgar! I am Higilek's kinsman and vassal. On many a renowned deed I ventured in my youth, To me, on my native soil, the matter of Grendel became known and revealed. Travelers upon the sea report that this hall, fairest of houses, stands empty, and to all men useless, as soon as the light of evening is hid beneath heaven's pale. Thereupon, the worthiest of my people and wise men counseled me to come to thee, King Hrothgar, for they had learned the power of my body's strength. They had themselves observed it. When I returned from the toils of my foes, earning their enmity, where five I bound, making desolate the race of monsters. And when I slew amid the waves by night the water demons, enduring bitter need, avenging the afflictions of the wind-loving Geats, destroying those hostile things, woe they had asked for. And now I shall with Grindel, with that fierce slayer, hold debate alone with the ogre. Now therefore will I ask of thee, Prince of the Glorious Danes, Defender of the Skildings, this one boon, That thou deny not to me, O Protector of Warriors, Fair Lord of Peoples, Since I have come from so far away that only I may, In my proud company of men, This dauntless company, make Herorot clean. I have learned, too, that this fierce slayer and this savagery to weapons gives no heed. I, too, then, will disdain, So love me, Higalak, my liege lord, to bear either sword or wide shield, yellow-bost, to battle. Nay, with my gripe, I shall seize upon the foe, and engage in mortal contest with hate against hate. There, to the judgment of the lord, shall he resign himself whom death doth take. Methinks he will, if he is permitted to have the mastery, in this hall of battle, devour without fear the gothic knights. The strong band of Rethman, as he oft hath done. No need wilt thou have in burial to shroud my head, But he will hold me reddened with gore, If death takes me, a bloody course will bear, Will think to taste it, And departing alone will eat unpitying, Staining the hollows of the moors. No need wilt thou have any longer To care for my body's sustenance. Send back to Higalak, should battle take me, the mail shirt most excellent that defends my breast, fairest of raiment, Rethel bequeathed it, the work of Wayland. Fate goeth ever as she must. Hrothgar made answer, protector of the Skildings. My friend Beowulf, for my desert, deserts, and for the grace that once I showed thou hast now come to us. Thy father with the sword ended one of the greatest feuds. Hithilof, with his own hands, he slew among the Wilfings. Then the kindred of the witteras could no longer keep him for the dread of war. But thence he sought the South Danish folk over the surges of the sea, even the glorious Skildings, when first I ruled the people of the Danes, and in youth governed a spacious realm, treasury and stronghold of mighty men. Herogar was then dead, mine elder brother, no longer lived the son of hilftine better was he than i thereafter that feud i settled with payment sending to the wilfings over the backs of the sea ancient creature over the backs of the sea ancient treasures oaths he swore to me grievous to my heart is it to recount to any among men what humiliations and harrowats What dreadful deeds of malice Grendel hath wrought for me in the hatred of his heart. Diminished is the company of my hall, the ranks of my warriors. Fate hath swept them into the dire clutch of Grendel. God alone may easily hinder from his deeds that savage foe. Full often have champions of war flushed with drink over the goblets of ale made vaunt, in that in the drinking hall they would meet the warlike might of Grendel, With the terror of their blades. Thereafter was this mead hall my royal house. On the morrow tide red with dripping blood When day shone forth, All the bench boards drenched with blood, And the hall with dew of swords. The fewer loyal hearts and bold men Tried in war had I, For death had taken them. Sit now at the feast, And when the time comes, Turn thy thought to victory for the Rethmen, As thy heart may urge thee. Then for the young Giedish knights together in company, a bench was made free in the drinking hall. There to their seats went those stout of heart resplendent in their strength. An esquire his office heeded, he that bore in hand the jeweled ale goblet and poured gleaming out the sweet drink. Ever and anon the minstrel sang clear in Herat There was mirth of mighty men, no little assembly of the tried valor of Danes and Wetterus. Unfirth spake, son of Eglath, who sat at the feet of the lord of the skildings, a spell to bring forth strife he loosed. The quest of Beowulf, come thus boldly over the sea, gave to him great displeasure, for it was not to his liking that any other man in this world below should ever accomplish more honor under heaven than he himself. Art thou that Beowulf who strove with Breca in swimming upon the wide sea? that time when ye two in pride made trial of the waters, and for a rash vaunt hazarded your lives upon the deep. No man, friend, nor foe could dissuade you two from that venture fraught with woe, when with limbs ye rode the sea. There ye embraced with your arms the streaming tide, measuring out the streets of the sea with swift play of hands, gliding over the ocean. The abyss was in tumult with the waves and the surges of the winter, Seven nights ye two labored in the water's realm. He overmatched thee in swimming. He had greater strength. Then on the morrow tide, the billows bore him up away to the Hithoriamus land. Whence he, beloved of his people, sought his own dear soil, the land of the Brandings and his fair stronghold, where a folk he ruled, his strong town and his rings. All his vaunt truly did he, the son of Beanston, accomplish against thee. Wherefore I expect for thee a yet worse encounter, though thou mayest in every place have proved valiant in the rush of battle and grim war. If thou darest all the night-long hour, nigh at hand, to wait for Grendel. Beowulf spake, the son of Ecgtheow. Lo, my friend, unfurth, flushed with drink, thou hast spent Much speech, telling of Bricka and his feet. Truth, I accounted that greater prowess in the sea had I, More labor in the waves than any other man. We two agreed, being boys, and made our vaunt, Being yet both in the youth of life, That we would hazard our lives out upon the ocean, And that we accomplished even so. Naked we held our swords, hard in our hands, When we two rode the sea, We thought thus to defend us against monstrous fish. Never at all could he swim away from me afar upon the streaming waves. More swift than I upon the deep, from him I would not go. Then we two were together in the sea five nights' space, until the tide drove us asunder, and the boiling waters, the coldest of storms' glooming night, a wind from the north came with cruel onslaught against us. Rough were the waves, the hearts of the fishes of the sea were stirred, and there the corslet on my flesh. links stoutly wrought by hand, gave me aid against my foes. My woven raiment of battle lapped my breast adorned with gold. To the abyss drew me a destroying foe, accursed. Fast the grim thing held me in its gripe. Nonetheless, it was granted to me to find that fell slayer with point of warlike sword the battle's onset destroyed that strong beast of the sea through this my hand thus many a time deadly assailants menaced me grievously with my beloved sword i ministered to them as it was meet in no wise had they joy in that banqueting foul doers of ill deeds that they should devour me sitting round and feast nigh to the bottoms of the sea nay Upon the morrow they lay upon the shore of the flotsam of the waves, wounded with sword thrusts, by blades done to death, so that never thereafter might they about the steep straits molest the passage of seafaring men. Light came from the east, God's beacon bright. The waves were lulled, so that I could descry the headlands out to sea and windy cliffs. Fate oft saveth a man not doomed to die. When his valor fails not. Howbeit it was my lot with sword to slay nine sea demons. Never have I heard beneath the vault of heaven. More of more bitter fighting by night. Nor of a man more unhappy in the torrents of the sea. And nonetheless from the grappling of accursed creatures. My life I saved weary of my venture. Then the sea the tide upon the flood. With boiling waters swept me away to the land of the Finns. Never have I heard men tell of thee any such cruel deeds of war, and dreadful work of swords. Brika never yet in the play of battle, nay, neither of you twain hath accomplished so daring a deed with bloodstained blades. Yet little do I glory in it, not though thou wert the slayer of thine own brethren, thy nearest kin. For that thou shalt in hell suffer damnation, though thy wit be good. I tell thee for a truth, son of Eglath, that never would Grindel have achieved so many a deed of horror, fierce slayer, and dire in thy lords, despite humbling him in Herot, If thy heart and soul were thus fell in war, as thou thyself accountest, nay, he hath found that he need not greatly dread avenging wrath, nor dire pursuit of swords from your people of the conquering Skeldings. Forst toll he levies none he spares of the folk of the Danes, but followeth his lust, slays and ravishes for no vengeance looking from the spear Danes. but I shall now ere long in battle oppose to him the might and valour of the Geats he will return, who made triumphant to the mead when the light of the morning on the following day the sun in sky robes shines from the south over the children of men. Then, in joyful hour, was the giver of rich gifts. Grey-haired, bold in battle, prince of the glorious Danes, he believed that succor was at hand. Shepherd of his people, he had discerned in Beowulf's words the moveless purpose of his mind. There was laughter of mighty men, the din of singing. Sweet were the words. Wealthy went forth, Hrothgar's queen, mindful of courtesy, with gold adorned, she greeted the men in the hall, and then the cup she offered, noble lady, first to the guardian of the East Danes realm, and wished him joy at the ale quaffing and his liege's love. He, king, victorious, and delight partook of feast and flowing bowl. Then the lady of the helmings went to and fro to every part of that host, to tried men and young, proffering the jeweled vessels, until in due time it chanced that she, ring-laden queen of courteous heart to beowulf bore the cup of mead and hailed the giddish knight and gave thanks to god in words of wisdom that her desire was granted to her that she might trust in any man for comfort in their miseries that cup he then received grim warrior at wilthiao's hand and thereupon his heart being kindled with desire of battle fair words he said thus beowulf son of Ecgtheow, spake this did I purpose when I went up upon the sea and sat me in my sea-boat amid my company of knights, that I wholly would accomplish the desire of your people, or would fall among the slain fast in the clutches of the foe. A deed of knightly valor I shall achieve, or else in this mead hall await my latest day. These words well pleased that lady, the proud utterance of the geat with gold adorned she went, fair queen of the people to her seat beside the lord the seat beside her lord then again as before were valiant words spoken within the hall the host was in joyful hour there was clamor of folk triumphant until on a sudden the son of Hithdin desired to seek his nightly couch he knew that onslaught against that lofty hall had been purposed in the demon's heart from the hours when they could see the light of the sun until darkling night and the shapes of mantling shadow came gliding over the world, dark beneath the clouds. All the host arose. Then man saluted man, Hrothgar and Beowulf. All hail the king him wished. Giving to him the keeping of his house of wine in this word he spake. Never have I ere this since I could lift hand and shield to any other man save thee here, and now entrusted the mighty dwelling of the Danes. Have it now, and hold it, fairest of houses. Remember thy renown. Show forth thy might and valor. Keep watch against our foes. No lack shall there be to thee of thy desires, if thou dost achieve this deed of valor, and yet live. Then Hrothgar departed, defender of the Skildings, with his company of knights forth from the hall. Their warrior lord would follow Wilthiau his queen, as the companion of his couch. The king of glory, as men now heard, had appointed one to guard the hall against Grendel. Now a special office he held in the service of the Danes, having taken on himself a watch against monstrous things. Verily the Giedish knight trusted confidently in his valiant strength, God's grace to him. Then his corslet of iron things he doffed, and the helm from his head, and gave his jeweled sword, best of iron wrought things to his esquire, and bade him have care of his gear of battle. Then the brave man spake, Beowulf of the Geats, a speech of proud words ere he climbed upon his bed, No whit do I count myself in my warlike stature a man more despicable in deeds of battle than Grendel doth himself. Therefore I will not with sword give him the sleep of death, although I well could. Not doth he know of gentle arms that he should wield a weapon upon weapon against me, or hew my shield, fierce though he be in savage deeds. Nay, we too shall this night reject the blade, if he dare have recourse to warfare without weapons, and then let the foreseeing God, the Holy Lord, adjudge the glory to whichever side him seemeth meet. Then he laid him down, that valiant man, and his face was buried in the pillow at his cheek and about him many a gallant rover was stretched upon his couch within the hall. None of them believed that he would ever return to the sweetness of his home, to the strong places of the free people where he was nurtured. Nay, they had learned that a bloody death had had ere now, in that hall of wine swept away all too many of the Danish folk. Yet God granted them a victorious fortune in battle, even to those Gietish warriors. Yet succor and aid that they, through the prowess of one and through his single might, Overcame their enemy. Manifest in this truth that mighty God hath ruled the race of men through all the ages. There came, in darkling night passing, a shadow walking. The spearmen slept whose duty was to guard the gabled hall, all except one. Well known it was to men that, if God willed it not, the robber fiend no power had to drag them to the shades. But he there, wakeful in his foe's despite abode, Grim-hearted the debate of war. He came now from the moor under misty fells, Grindle walking. The wrath of God was on him. Foul thief he purposed of the race of men, Someone to snare within that lofty hall. Under cloud he went to where he knew full well That house of wine was, Hall of men with gold bright-plated, not the first adventure that, that he had made, seeking for Rothgar's home. Never in days of life before nor la- later, with harder fortune guards and all he found. He came now to the house, a man-shaped journeying of men's mirth shorn. The door at once sprang back, barred with forged iron, when claws he laid on it. He wrenched them wide, baleful with raging heart, the gaping entrance of the house. Then swift on the bright patterned floor the demon paced. In angry mood he went, and from his eyes stood forth most like to flame unholy night. He in the house espied there many a man asleep, a throne of kinsmen side by side, a band of youthful knights. Then his heart laughed. He thought that he would sever ere daylight came dread slayer for each. One of these, life from their flesh, since now such hope had chanced a feasting full. It was no longer doomed that he yet more might of the race of men devour beyond that night. There, stern and strong, the kinsmen of Higalak watched how that foul thief with his fell clutches would now play his part, and that the slayer was not minded to delay, not he, but swiftly at the first turn seized the sleeping man, rending him unopposed, biting the bone joints, drinking blood from veins, great gobbets gorging down. Quickly he took all of that lifeless thing to be his food, even feet and hands. Onward and nearer he stepped, seized then with hand the valiant-hearted man upon his bed. Against him the demon stretched his claw, and swiftly he laid hold on it, and with hate and heart he propped him on his arm. Straightway that master of evil deeds perceived that never had he met within this world in earth's four corners on any other man a mightier gripe of hand. In heart and soul he grew afraid, yet none the sooner could escape. His desire would haste away, he would to hiding flee, seeking the devil's throng. Not now were his dealings there such as he ever before in the days of his life had found. Then the good knight, kinsman of Higalak, Remembered his words at evening. Upright he stood and grappled fast against him. Fingers cracked. Out would the ogre go. Forth strode the night. The accursed thing would fain. Could he have done so? Go free afar and thence flee away to hollows in the fens. He felt the powers of his fingers in the fierce foe's grasp. It was a woeful journey that the fell robber had to Herorot made. The royal hall h- rang. On all the Danes, dwellers in the town about, on each bold heart there fell a ghastly fear. Wroth were they both, fierce rivals in the keeping of the house. The hall was full of noise. Great wonder was it then that the house of wine endured their battling, so that it fell not to the ground, fair dwelling upon earth. But stout was it smithied within and without with bonds of iron cunningly contrived. There, where they fought in wrath, was many a bench adorned with gold for the drinking of mead cast from its plate upon the floor, so the tale tells. Never aforetime had the Skildings counselors foreseen that any among men could in any wise shatter its goodliness adorned with ivory, nor dismember it with craft, unless the embrace of fire should engulf it in swathing smoke clamor new arose ever and anon dread fear came upon the northern danes upon each of those that from the wall heard the cries the adversary of god singing his ghastly song no chant of victory the prisoner of hell bewailing his grievous hurt fast was he held by that most strong in body's might in that day of men's life here In no wise would that captain of men permit that deadly guest to go forth alive, nor did he account the days of his life of use to any man. There many a knight of Beowulf drew swift his ancient blade, wishing to defend the life of his lord and master and renowned prince if so he might. They knew it not, young warriors brave-hearted, as they fought that fight, and on each side sought to hew the foe and pierce his vitals. That doer of evil none upon the earth of swords of war would touch, not the most excellent of things of iron, not so, for he had laid a spell upon all victorious arms and upon every blade. On that day of this life on earth unhappy was fated to be the sending forth of his soul, and far was that alien spirit to fare into the realm of fiends. Now did he perceive who aforetime had wrought the race of men, many a grief of heart and wrong. He had a feud with God, that his body might would not avail him. But the valiant kinsmen of Higalak had him by the arm. Hateful to each was the other's life. A grievous hurt of body, that fierce slayer and dire now endured. A mighty wound was seen upon his shoulder. The sinews sprang apart, the joints of his bones burst. To Beowulf was vouchsafed triumph in battle. Thence now must Grendel flee stricken to death. To hide beneath the slopes of the fins, seeking his joyless haunts, thereby the more surely did he know that the end of his life was come to pass, and the hours of his days were numbered. That deadly contest was over and achieved was the desire of all the Danes. In that hour, one, in that hour, had <clears throat> one come from afar, wise and stout of heart, purged the hall of Hrothgar and redeemed it from the malice of Grindel. He rejoiced in his deeds that night, and in the glory of his prowess. The chief of those Geatish men had accomplished all his proud vaunt before the East Danes, and had healed moreover all the woe and the tormenting sorrow that they had erewhile suffered and must of necessity endure no little bitterness. Of this a clear token it was when that warrior bold had set the hand, the arm, and shoulder beneath the widespread roof. There was all Grendel's clutching limb entire." Then have I heard that in the morning many a warlike night was gathered about his patron's hall. The chieftains of the people had come from far and near over the distant waves, ways that marvel to behold and the footprints of that hated one. No grief for his departure from life felt any of those men who looked upon the trail of his inglorious flight, marking how sick at heart he had dragged his footsteps, bleeding out his life. From thence away defeated and death doomed to the water demon's mirror. There the waters boiled with blood and the dread turmoil of the waves was all blended with hot gore and seethed with battle's crimson. Therein doomed to die he plunged and bereft of joys in his retreat. Amid the fins yielded up his life and heathen soul. There hell received him, thence the ancient men of the court and many a young man too fared back from their joyous journey, riding from the mere upon their steeds and pride, knights upon horses white. There was the renown of Beowulf recalled, many a man and oft declared that south or north the two seas between was there no other beneath the encircling sky more excellent among bearers of the shield, more worthy of kingly rule. Yet verily they did not in anything belittle their lord and patron, gracious Hrothgar, Nay, a good king was he. At wiles, those warriors bold set their bay horses of renowned excellence to gallop and run in rivalry, where the paths over earth seemed good to them. At wiles, a servant of the king, a man laden with proud memories, who had lays in mind and recalled a host and multitude of tales of old, word followed word, each truly linked to each. This man in his turn began with skill to treat the quest of Beowulf and in flowing verse to utter his ready tale, interweaving words. He recounted all that he had heard tell concerning Sig- Sigmund's works of prowess, many a strange tale, the arduous deeds of the Welsing and his adventures far and wide, deeds of vengeance and of enmity, things that the children of men knew not fully, save only Fitella, who was with him. In those days he was wont to tell something of such matters, brother to his sister's son. Even as they were ever comrades in need in every desperate strait, many and many of the giant race had they laid low with swords. For Sigmund was noised afar after his dying day, with no dying day no little fame, since he, staunch in battle, had slain the serpent, the guardian of the horde. Yea, he, the son of noble house beneath the hoar rock alone, had dared a perilous deed. Fatello was not with him. Nonetheless, it was his fortune that the sword pierced through the serpent of strange shape and stood fixed in the wall. Goodly blade of iron. The dragon died a cruel death. The fierce slayer had achieved by his valor that he might at his own will enjoy that hoard of rings. The boat upon the sea he laid it and bore to the bosom of his ship the bright treasures. The offspring of Wales was he, the dragon melted in its heat. He was far and wide of adventures, the most renowned throughout the people of mankind, for his works of prowess. That prince of warriors, thereby did he aforetime grow great. After the valor of Hermod, his might and prowess had failed, and he, in the land of the Jutes, ...was betrayed into the power of his enemies, and swiftly sent to death. Too long did the surges of sorrow beat upon him. A mortal affliction he became unto his people, and to all his nobles. Yet in time gone by many a wise man had oft lamented the exile of that stout-hearted one, ...to whom they looked for the cure of their ills, ...believing that this son of their king was like to advance in virtue, ...and inherit the qualities of his father. To keep well the people, the treasures, in the fence stronghold in the realm of his vassals, the land of the Skildings. But he there now among them, the kinsman of Higalak, had proved more pleasing in the eyes of all men and of his friends, on that others' heart wickedness had seized. Again at wiles and rivalry upon their steeds they measured the dusty roads. Now the light of morning was advanced in haste far upon its course. Many a knight of stout heart went into that lofty hall to see that marvel strange. So too the king himself from his bedchamber, guardian of hordes of rings renowned for his largesse, strode in majesty amid a great company, and with him the queen, with her train of maidens, paced the path unto the mead hall. Hrothgar spake. He was come to the hall and stood upon the steps and looked upon the steep roof bright with gold and upon Grindel's hand. For this sight be thanked swiftly given to Almighty God. Much evil and many woes have I endured from Grindel. Ever may God perform marvel upon marvel. Lord of glory! It was but little while ago that I hoped never in all my life to find healings of any of my woes. When this best of houses stood stained with blood and dripping with fresh gore, that was a grief far reaching to every one of my counselors, who hoped not that they ever in the world should defend this stronghold of the people of the land from the malice of demons and of devils. Now hath one young man, through the might of the Lord, wrought a deed that we none of us with our wisdom were able to compass. Lo, this may she say, if yet she lives, whosoever among women did bring forth this son among the peoples of the earth. That the eternal God was gracious to her in her childbearing. Now, Beowulf, best of men, I will cherish thee in my heart even as a son. Hereafter keep thou well this new kinship. Lack shalt thou have none of thy desires in the world, of such as lie in my power. Full oft for less have I granted a reward, and honorable gifts from my treasure to a humbler man, and to one less eager in battle. Thou hast achieved for thyself with thine own deeds that thy glory shall live forever to all ages. The Almighty reward thee with good, even as he hitherto hath done. Beowulf spake the son of Echthial. We with all good will achieved that deed of prowess in battle, and the perilous strength of the unknown king, the unknown thing we dared. Yet rather had I wished that thou might see him here, Grindel himself, thy foe and his race, sick unto death. I purposed in hard bonds swiftly to bind him upon his deathbed, that by the grasp of my hands he should be forced to lie struggling for life. Had not his body escaped me, I might not, since it was not the will of God, restrain his flight. I did not cleave fast enough, for that unto my mortal foe too overwhelming was the might of that fiend in body's movement. Nonetheless, he hath left behind upon his trail his hand and arm and shoulder, Yet no wise thus hath that unhappy one purchased him relief. None the longer thereby will he live. (laughs) That doer of evil wrong. Burdened by his sins. Nay, pain hath him closely gripped in a grasp. He cannot flee. In bonds of anguish. There must he, stained with sin, await the great day of doom. And the sentence that the bright judge will pronounce on him. Then was the son of Eglaf a man more sparing of his words, and vaunting speech concerning his deeds in war. Now that the royal company, through the valor of Beowulf, looked up to the lofty roof, at the hand and fingers of their foe, at the tip was each one of the stout nails most like unto steel, grievous and cruel were the spurs upon the hand of that savage thing. All agreed that there was not so hard, no iron proven of old, that would touch him in such wise as to hurt that demon's blood-stained, murdering hand. Then was it ordered that Hierot should swiftly be adorned within by the hands of men. Many were there, men and women, who arrayed that hall of revelry and welcome, glittering with gold tapestries shone along the walls. Many a marvelous thing to see for every one of those that on such things love to look. Sorely shattered was all that shining house within. From their iron bars the hinges of the doors were wrenched away. The roof alone was preserved free from all injury, when that fierce slayer stained with deeds of wrong had turned to flee despairing of his life. No easy thing is it to escape. Let him strive who will. Nay, he shall come at last to a place appointed by inevitable fate, made ready for all those who have life. The sons of men dwelling upon earth where his body, still upon its bed of rest, shall sleep after the feast. Now was it the time and hour, and the son of Hifthin went to the hall. The king himself would partake of the feast. Never have I heard tell that a people was thronged more numerous, or bore itself more gallantly, than they did then about their lord and friend. They went then in splendor to their seats, rejoicing in plenty. Meatly they partook of many a cup of mead. High of heart were the kinsmen in that lofty hall. Hrothgar and Rothulf. Herorot was filled with friends, In no wise did the skildings work treachery as yet. Then did the son of Hilfdin give to Beowulf a golden ensign as reward of his victory, an embroidered banner upon a staff and a helm and corslet A renowned and treasured sword there many saw laid before that warrior. The cup Beowulf received there in the hall. No need had he to feel shamed by the riches given unto him before the assembled bowmen. Few men, have I heard tell, gave ever to another seated at the drinking in more loving wise for such precious gifts. Round the helmet's crown the whale wound about with wire kept guard without over the head that no sword that leaves the file of smith hardened in the rain of blows might cruelly injure it, when the eager warrior beneath his shield should go against his foes. Then the lord of men commanded that eight horses with gold-plated bit and bridle be led into the hall in amid the courts. Upon one of these there lay a saddle adorned with cunning colors and rich with gems, the seat in battle had it been of the high king in days when the son of Hilftin would play the play of swords. Never had the valor of that far-famed lord failed in the front of war when slain men fell. And thereupon the warden of the servants of Ing, Danes, granted unto Beowulf possession of both, of weapons and of steeds. He bade him him use them well. Thus right manfully did the renowned king, rich lord of men, reward the impetuous deeds of battle with treasures and with horses, in such wise that no man finds fault in him who will justly speak the truth. Moreover, the lord of men to each of those that with Beowulf had made the passage of the sea, gave as they sat at their mead a rich gift and heirloom, and commanded that atonement should be paid with gold for that one whom Grendel wickedly had slain. Even as he would have more, had not the foreseeing God and the courage of that man fended fate from them. God was Lord then of all the race of men, even as he yet is. Wherefore is understanding in the heart that taketh thought in every time and place the best? Much must he endure of sweet and bitter, who long time here in these days of trouble enjoyeth life in the world. There was song, and the voices of men gathered together before the leader of the host of Hilfdine. There the harp was touched to mirth, and many a lay recalled. Then, according to his office, Hrothgar's minstrel touched upon a tale to the liking of those upon the benches drinking their mead within the hall. He told of the sons of Finn. When the sudden onslaught came upon them, the hero of the Half-Danes, Naif of the Skildings, fell by fate in the Frisian slaughter. Of a truth, Hildeberg had little cause to praise the loyalty of the Jutes. By no fault of hers, she was robbed of her loved ones in the clash of shields, of brothers and of sons. They fell according to their doom, slain by the spear. A woeful lady she, not without cause, did that daughter of lament the decree of fate. When that morning came, whereon she might behold beneath the light of day the cruel slaying of her kin where he aforetime had possessed the greatest earthly joy. There had war taken all Finn's champions, save few alone, so that he might by no means on that field of meeting wage to an end the fight with Hengist, nor in battle rest the sad remnant from the captain of the prince. Nay, they offered terms to him that he would make all free for them another court, both hall and throne that they should have possession of the half thereof, sharing with the sons of the Jutes, and at the giving of treasure the son of Folkwalda should each day honor the Danes, should with the rings and hoarded jewels of plated gold rejoice the company of Hengist, no whit less than he was wont in the drinking hall to enhearten the men of the Frisian race. Thus, on both sides they confirmed a binding treaty of peace, to Hengist Finn, in full and without reserve, declared with solemn oaths that he would, with the advice of his co- counsellors, honourably entreat the sad remnant of the fight, and that there should no man ever recall it to mind, not though they served the slayer of him who before he had who before had given them rings, being now without a lord, for such was their necessity. If, moreover, any of the men of Frisia should with grievous words recall a memory that deadly feud, then should it be expiated by the edge of sword. A pyre was made ready, and the gleaming gold brought forth from the treasury. The best of the heroes in battle of the warrior Skildings was arrayed upon the funeral pile. Upon that pyre was plain to see blood-drenched corslet, swine crest, all made of gold, bore hard as iron. Many a lord by wounds destroyed, one and all they had fallen in that slaughter. Then Hildeberg bade that her own son be committed to the flames upon the pyre of Naif, there to burn their bones, setting him upon the funeral pile at his uncle's side. The lady mourned, bewailing them in song. The warrior was mounted upon high. Up to the clouds swirled that mightiest of destroying fires— Roaring before the burial mound, consumed were their heads, their gaping wounds burst open, the cruel hurts of the body, and the blood sprang forth. Flame devoured them all, hungriest of spirits. All that in that place war had taken of either people, their glory had passed away. Then the warriors bereft of their friends departed to look upon their dwellings, to see the Frisian land, their homes and mighty town. Still, Hengist abode with Finn that blood-stained winter, keeping fully to his word. He thought of his own land, even though he cannot speed upon the sea. His ship with curving beak, the deep was tossed in storm and battled with wind. Winter locked the waves in icy bond, until another year came to the dwellings of men, even as it doth yet. Those weathers gloriously fair that unchangingly observe the seasons. Now past was winter, and fair the bosom of the earth. The exile, the guest of Finn, was eager to be gone from those courts. Therein more thought did he give to vengeance for his sorrow than to the passage of the sea, pondering if he pondering if he might again achieve a clash of wrath, wherein he would in his heart remember the children of the Jutes. Wherefore he did not refuse the homage that binds all men when Hunlaf's son laid the light of battle, that best of swords upon his lap. The edges thereof the Jutes knew full well, and so too, in turn, cruel destruction by the sword came upon Finn in his very hall, when Guthlaf and Oslaf, after their journey over the sea, had recounted their sorrow, and that deadly onslaught, and complained their woeful lot. The restless spirit within the breast might not be restrained. Then was that hall reddened with the lifeblood of their foes, and Finn too slain the king amid his company, and the queen was taken. The bowmen of the Skildings bore to their ships all the wealth of the house of that king of earth, all such as they could find of jewels and cunning gems. Over the ways of the sea, they bore that royal lady to the land of the Danes and brought her to her people. Welcome to Lost in the Maze, number 15, the solo show only on the Billionaire Podcast Network. ka bing, 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 up, a subsidiary of Cornfed Industries, Uh, That was the first 950 verses of Beowulf. Uh, This is the uh, J.R.R. Tolkien translation. Uh, He translated it at one point, and they put it together in this lovely paperback that I have. Uh, And that was yeah that was the first 950 verses of Beowulf uh, please subscribe to the patreon patreon.com slash Cornfed with Dalton Pruitt and uh, come back next week and we'll, we'll finish uh, Beowulf thank you uh, thank you bye